0: Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Well, we are back into week three of our series, Hope is Here. And this, uh, this particular sermon I... It's titled Hope for the Underdog. And hey, if you're listening via podcast, want to say thank you for joining and we pray that this message would help you take your next step closer to Jesus. Now, we've been discovering all the ways that God brings us hope in face of a world that appears to be hopeless. Somebody say amen. amen. Well, week 1, we learned that Jesus brings us hope when we're weary. When we're heavy burdened in life. And how we do not have to walk in this life alone. We also looked at no hope. We also looked at false hope. And then finally, true living hope. And then on week two, we began looking at how hope comes from the grace of Jesus when we are broken because of something, well, we would call we messed up. Or let's be honest, we sinned. And so we're broken inside. You know, there's two ways to be broken. That which is done to us or that which we did to somebody else. Amen? And so in that brokenness, I I had a glass or a mug that just would not break. Amen? We accomplished it, it, though. I just did a little hard bang on it. But did you know that there's actually a Japanese art that's called kit... Kinsuki, Kinsuki. Did I pronounce that close enough? She's my favorite. <laughs> so here's a couple pictures of Kinsuki. It takes broken pottery mixed with lacquer and gold, and they paste back together this broken pottery, and that which was no longer usable not only is it usable it's actually of greater value after being broken and put together with gold sometimes silver and now people look at it as an incredible not only piece of of art but also is functional and that's what happens in our life maybe you did something you know you shouldn't have done or something you shouldn't have said am i the only one in the room okay And guess what? God takes my brokenness, and as you can see, it's now of greater value because my story, and because somebody else has a story similar to my story, I can bring them hope, and they can see that in my brokenness, there's actually still beauty. Amen? Well, today, let's look, and let's talk about hope that is given to us when we feel like we're facing more than we can handle. And without a shadow of a doubt between the circumstances, the reality of our skill set, our experience, our education, we are more than just underdogs. So what do we do with that? Well, you know, there's a reason that so many of us connect with movies, especially the comeback kid kind of movie. Think about these titles of some movies that maybe you have seen and maybe have even watched. Movies like Rudy, a walk-on athlete to Notre Dame. Cinderella Man, the boxer during the Great Depression. Miracle, the hockey team from the USA taking on the Russians who had... Paid professional hockey players to these amateurs who are just a little bit nothing more than the misfits, right? McFarland, USA tracking actually there were cross-country racers out there in well in, in the agricultural country. Sea Biscuit, Braveheart, Chariots of Fire. And why do we connect with these types of movies? Because they all have a common theme. They're all movies about the underdog. They are films about unlikely characters overcoming amazing odds and finding success. The stories are all told in a variety of different ways. And all have their own unique outcomes. But they all tell a story of hope. Maybe these movies do something to us because at some level, all of us feel like we're also facing overwhelming odds in our own life, and maybe in this area or maybe in that area. And when we see Cinderella Man getting victory, or we see Rudy getting victory, or we see the miracle in the hockey team, we look at that and we think, if they can do it, then maybe I can do it as well. And hope arises within our own soul. Maybe we cheer the underdog because we too are underdogs. Well, Father, I just pray that we would be willing to see and to hear what you would want us to see and hear as we dive in, Lord, going deep into this message into to the story of David that we wouldn't just see it as a Sunday school story that we would see it as a story as relevant and real for us today a story of hope in Jesus holy name amen you know life is full of dawning situations parents trying to run a family and sometimes it just seems overwhelming navigating a a global pandemic can be daunting especially it was only supposed to be 15 days of lockup juggling a career juggling retirement I always laugh when I hear somebody who's been recently retired and you'll hear a common thing ready to go back to work yet and they're like yeah so I can get some rest those who are retired know exactly what I'm talking about. How to do family well. Growing in your faith and defeating those sinful habits, it's not easy. That too is not only a challenge, but it's daunting. And trying to perform a two-person lift or a two-person job all by yourself alone is overwhelming and daunting. Why do I bring that out? Because I believe one of the reasons we struggle so much in dealing with those sin things in our life is we're attempting to try to approach those things in our life when God wants us to approach them with a two or three or multi-person lift. And what do we do? Oh, I got this one all by myself. You guys stay back. I can handle this, as the veins are popping out of our foreheads, because it's overwhelming. It's too heavy. That's why on the box it says two-person lift. The Bible's full of stories of characters against all odds, and yet they experience victory. And they didn't experience it because they were all alone. They were never all alone. There's a common thread in these stories as well. These characters are all fully aware that without God on their side, there's no hope, no hope of a favorable outcome. Left to themselves all alone, I would face defeat, and I have. How about you? One of the classic Bible stories of an underdog is the story of David and the giant, David and Goliath. This account takes place long before David is the king of Israel. And at this point, he's a teenage boy. He's a lot of scholars believe that he's around 19. Some people want to call him a boy. I don't think they're right in that. The, all indicators is that he's more of a, of a late teen. Anyways, he's not even fully developed into his, his man-sized body. So let's pick up as we look at 1 Samuel, starting at chapter seventy verse 20. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts. Now what's going on here is his little backstory. His dad has spoken to him and says, hey, I want you to run over to the front lines. And I want you to find your brothers, and I want you to tell me how it's going. Give me word, go ahead and bring all this bread, all this, all of this food and cheese, and give some to the commander as well, but let me know what's going on. Why? Because he didn't have any internet, right? No satellite footage. Literally, this is how they would get the play-by-play of what's going on, is they would send somebody to be the reporter and then come back and give them the play-by-play. To the front lines of a battle. Isn't that crazy? But that's what's going on here. So he gave him the instructions. So he spends the night at home. He's getting ready in the next morning to take off. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. 21. Soon the Israelites and Philistines forces stood facing each other, army against army. Think of it as a big valley, one on this side and one way up high on the other side. And they could see each other and they would scream and yell and mock at each other. But nobody would move to the middle. They stayed at their opposite ends. So just hours before David arrives at the front lines of a massive conflict, maybe to be played out that day, he literally has gone from the field of being with the sheep to being in the field of battle with the giant. I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem very preparatory. Did you get a lot of prep work? How was boot camp for you there, David? Did you get to oil up that gun? Do you know how to strap up them boots? You all ready for this, David? Just shows up. How many know that storms of life are just like that? They just show up whether you want them to or not. I didn't approve this. Who signed off on this? the truth is that we're hardly ever prepared to handle the surprises that life throws at us. Maybe it's the phone call with a diagnosis nobody wanted to hear. Maybe it's a pink slip that you're laid off and Friday is your last day. Maybe it's a temptation we didn't see coming. Maybe that you have more Expenses for the month, then you have paycheck for the month. No one asks to be placed in a position where there's no clear route to victory. And this is where David finds himself. Within the first few verses, it might be where you're at today as well. When we find ourselves in this place, we need some true living hope. This last year, or actually the last few years, it's been difficult for my family and for my in-laws. My mom's dementia has really turned, turned south. My dad almost died a year ago, 46 days in the hospital with COVID. We're concerned now that they were giving him a medicine that was probably destroying his kidney. My father-in-law is fighting prostate cancer. My brother, my sister, my nieces, nephew, they all got COVID. COVID which required me, because I was the only family member left, to actually go and care for my mom, who also had COVID. Our daughter and her husband moved out of state. On the day that I had to leave to go take care of my mom, I had to say goodbyes to my daughter and son-in-law. My son has fought three deployments in Afghanistan over the last few years, only to hear the story about what's going on in in Afghanistan this last week. He's lost some buddies, friends who have lost their limbs. At times, it seemed overwhelming, and it was scary, and let's just say hope was definitely being challenged. We're not always fully prepared to navigate, folks, the stormy seas of life. But here's the sad news. I'm not the only one with a story. Everyone in this room has a story, if not from this last year, from the last few years. And maybe not just one story, maybe two, maybe five, maybe ten. I'll tell you what we all need. We all need hope. We need hope. And He offers it. And that's the good news. When we face those massive storms of life, it's then that we have to decide how we will respond to the storm. Do we give up? Do we accept defeat? Or do we trust in God to give us the strength to carry on? How will you decide to respond to the storm in your life? So David. So David arrives at the front lines to check on his brothers for his dad, who are fighting in the Israelite army. By the way, they're all older than him. And none of them like David. He's the youngest kid in the family. And unlike the coat of many colors, you know, Joseph, this guy is hated. We also know, if we were to study in the Psalms, you also find out that that David actually says that he was considered to be a bastard. That his mom had literally had, that he was conceived out of his mom's adulterous encounters. What the truth be known, is that his mom's um, maidservant, because his dad was a male and not a true jew decided he was no longer going to mess with a full jew out of respect to her jewishness right so then he was going to encounter the maidservant for the intimate setting or the marriage bed well she didn't want to do that because she loved david's mom and she says don't worry don't worry about it and she changed outfits and pretended to be the maidservant And in that process, she got pregnant with David. He was literally an illegitimate child. Does this sound familiar? When you stop to think about some guy, some gal named Mary, and how everybody believed that that child was illegitimate? All right, sorry for the little tangent. Let's come on back. So there's David. He's checking on everybody. And we pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 23. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine cha- champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him, meaning Goliath, shout his usual taunts to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife and the man's entire family will be exempt from paying taxes. Woo! No taxes? And David asked the soldier standing standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan, meaning uncircumcised? What does that mean? He doesn't have a covenant with God. Philistine, anyway, that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God. Now, let's go farther down. Let's look at, at starting in verse 32, same chapter. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. He had been talking so much that finally somebody brought David to the king because he says, oh, I'll take him on, bring it the bigger he is, the easier it is for him to fall. I got this. Let's do this. I'll go fight him, 33. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. Literally, they would train These prodigy kids, at the age of seven, they were now determined to be champions for the Philistine army. From age seven, they would train them to be warriors. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I'm I'm thinking he's not probably putting his hand underneath his. I'm thinking he's probably using a rope, kind of like how they get alligators. And once you get a rope around their snout, you know, that you can really control them. Because I'm sorry, if you see the size of a bear or a lion and try to grab that beard, uh, there's these things called claws. I think a rope is probably a better idea. Verse 35. I go after with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. (laughs) I just love his attitude. For he has defied the armies of the living God. Catch this phrase, because over and over and over and over again, he thinks in this line of thought. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Just for time's sake, I didn't put it in there, but all of a sudden Saul goes, but you got to go out there with my armor. Dude, are you trying to get credit for something here? The thing doesn't fit on him. He's a boy. He's a teenager. But he was smart enough to know, I'm not going to wear his getup. I'm not going to wear his gear. I'm not going to use his, his sword. I'm not going to wear any of that stuff. Why? Because it doesn't fit me. And when I fought the lion, when I fought the bear, I wasn't wearing this. I will go out just as I've done before and how the Lord gave me victory. I will use what God has already given me. Why? So only God gets the credit. You can hear in the passage the determination within David. Though he's just a teenager, David knows someone has to stand up to this giant. This thread of a massive man named Goliath. I mean, this guy is a decorated warrior. He struck fear into the hearts of all who saw him, he was terrifying. Folks, he's a little over nine feet, which is nine and a half feet. A typical standard door is just under seven foot. So if you get under seven foot, you would have to add another two feet and that would be where his head ends. Literally, his shoulders would be too wide to go through this. That ain't normal. What causes David... An underdog in the circumstances to take on such a massive challenge. Hope. Hope. Hope that he will not fight the battle alone. Hope that with God's help there is nothing that is impossible. Hope that what little David has to offer combined with all that God has is more than enough. Hope. David's reasoning for his hope comes from God being faithful. God demonstrating His love for him. He has a history. I faced the bear. I faced the lion. And I rescued the poor little lamb each and every time. Hope is a derivative of trust. When we truly believe that God is trustworthy, it gives us hope. It's like a child who plays with his father at the swimming pool. You know, all my kids are big bombinos now, you know, and getting married and having babies and I love that part. It's nothing like being a grandfather. But I remember being in the pool. And having my little boy and my little girl right there on the edge and getting them for the first time to jump out with their arms to their daddy, to their mommy. And when that would happen, the only thing that was motivating that child to do what they were going to do, which was jump into the deep end, as far as they were concerned, is all their trust in the love of their daddy to hold them and to catch them and then say let's do it again it was hope that trust in the love of dad of mom that's what hope is it's trusting and believing no matter what we're doing god's got us he won't let us drown but boy it would be a fun splash Hope comes from trusting in the Lord. And David's confidence comes from trusting in God's love and faithfulness for David himself. He knew this. He experienced this. Child of God, some of you have been around on this planet a long time. Some of you are going, yeah, my bones feel like it. But I bet you you got some stories of how God helped you here in your marriage. How God brought you, him, and her together. How, when there was more month than there was paycheck, how God provided. You know how all of a sudden this couldn't get fixed and there wasn't enough money for getting that vehicle fixed. And somehow God used enough bubble gum and duct tape and bailing wire to make it work. you know the stories but have you forgotten have you taken the time to remember the stories of the bear and of the lion how he was there to fight with you if you've forgotten you won't have any hope even worse you'll fake it as a Christian. I encourage you, remember. Remember from the little, little, little thing to the big. It will make your heart swell up with hope. Let's go back to the story. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And, and we're now at verse 40. There's a lot of text to that story. Well, he, meaning David, picked up five smooth stones from the stream and put them into his shepherd's bags. I love how some um, scholars say this. One of them says that one of the reasons why David picked up five stones wasn't because he was afraid he was going to miss. It was because he he believed that he had some brothers, that Goliath had some brothers. So I thought that was an interesting comment. We don't know the Scripture silent to that. Then, armed with only his shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out towards David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at the ruddy faced boys. Am I a dog? He roared at David that you come at me with sticks. And he cursed David by the names of his God. Come over here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. And David replied to the Philistine, You come to me, catch this, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, now catch this part, whom you have defied. Woo! Busted, you're in trouble, Goliath. Today, the Lord, who? The Lord will conquer you. And I will kill you and cut off your head. Man, he's a speaking vision. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues His people, but not with sword and spear. But not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle. And He will give you to us. Amazing. After Goliath breathes out his threats to a little underdog teenager, David responds by telling him that though Goliath fights with a sword with a javelin and a spear David's letting God fight his battle for him and through him sometimes children of God think I'll just let the Lord do it no he's the kind of papa that says let's do this together I'll take the heavy load But you hold on. And I love this part about David. In in another version, it talks about how he literally runs towards the giant. Ooh, I love that part. You want some of this? Do you see that in his face and his eyes? Do you know that when those slingshots, a lot of them could be six feet, seven feet long? Okay, so when they begin to swing this propeller-type action over his head, he's generating such incredible centrifugal force that on the end of that, that when he releases it, they have found that some of those long uh, slingshots have the force of a 38 special gun. Wow. Who was really the giant in the situation? The guy who's a sniper. Or the guy with, I come at you, I'm really big and ugly, come get me, I have bad breath. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. David, they say they're literally, guys have gotten so good with those slingshots that they can actually take birds out of the air. Not made up story, they do this. To this day, they still use a slingshot in the Middle East. It's a weapon. Lethal weapon. This is how we fight our battles. With the Lord. This is how we fight our battles. With the Lord. With the Lord. Maybe you don't feel equipped to overcome the giants that you are facing right now in your life or even worse, those giants in the past that won't stop haunting you. If that's you today, you're in good company. Maybe you know that your trial is too much for you. This is a good place to start then. It's only when we realize that our battles are not waged in conventional manners, but that our battle is not our own. Let's look at Ephesians 6.12. Paul, who wrote the book of, of Ephesians there in the city of Ephesus, he says this, verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness. Where? In the... See, a lot of times we're busy fighting, thinking our problem is with one another. That it's with our spouse or our ex or, or it's up against, you know, this person or this agency or a government. Wait, 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 wait. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places. What's he trying to say? Spiritual warfare. There's a lot going on in our nation, guys. Hey, those are on this side about the whole pandemic. Those are on this side on the, on about the whole pandemic. There were this, there's that. There's the educated, the non-educated. Bam! Conflict. And what else? Division. Them over there and those over there, and never the two shall meet. What's really going on? The same thing thousands of years ago. A war between good and evil. But don't listen to the false doctrine that says Satan is as powerful as God. What? He's a fallen angel that was created by God. Don't make him the same status as God the Father. Not even close. Paul. His, re, his readers at that day must have read that about, and, and just really must have been overcome by what he was writing. It must have been shocking to them to, to always know that <clears throat> war always happened in the spring. And all of a sudden he's saying, hey, there's something really going on here and it's not physical fighting. We fight our our, our daunting battles by submitting to the will of God and not to fear. We fight our most difficult circumstances by bringing them to God in prayer. Why is it? I mean, isn't this the silliest thing to you? We have a really daunting situation And we try to go do anything and everything, and when none of it all works, what's the next thing we say? Well, i got nothing else to do. I guess I will... Uh, Kind of backwards. I've been backwards. How about you? And yet God really is trying to say what? Why don't you start first on your knees before me, and then I'll direct you on what to do after. We fight the evil that we come against by inviting God to intervene on our behalf and on those that we're praying for. David calls upon God and he engages Goliath on the battlefield. David, his shot flies and it's so precise that he doesn't even, Goliath doesn't even have his shield down he has it up, so there's an exposed part of his forehead. <laughs> Dave is such a good shot, and God guides it, that literally when he flies in, it doesn't hit him on his chest and fall off. It literally hit him perfect in the forehead. Great was the thunderous pound of this nine-and-a-half-foot guy. He must have weighed probably close to 450, 500 pounds, if not more. He's now flat down. It appears that he's dead. But David's going to make sure for good measure that he is. He pulls out his... David pulls out Goliath's sword and literally goes and removes the head of Goliath. Can you imagine everybody up on that side of the valley, on that up there looking, and he lifts it up and says, Hey, guys! Yeah, he's dead. And then everybody over on this side looks, What? Then they take off running down to the valley floor and running back up and all the Philistines turn and burn towards the beach. So they could get out of Dodge. And all the way while they're running, the Israelites take them out one by one. Amazing story amazing phone it is this single victory that turns the tide of the entire war they went from being for sure slaves to conquerors you see something at the very beginning that probably i should have shared it's very important the reason there was only two warriors one-on-one is they had learned through war that if we fight it all the way out, there's going to be a lot of dead people, a lot of blood on the field. And it's a waste of, of how do we survive as a society after a war because all these men are gone, and there's no way to go forward as a society to obviously have families and the like. So they said, well, why don't we take our best, and you take your best, and whoever wins, kind of like a duel, well, then the other ones become slaves. To the victor and so this is why they're sitting for a whole month we're almost 40 days and so they're all waiting because nobody's like going i don't care if they kill me that but that means that all my family and friends if i lose it's on them they're all slaves i don't want that on me and david says i'll bring it why that uncircumcised philistine greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world." No weapon formed against me shall prosper. David's got it. So let's go to 1 Samuel 51. Same chapter. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the philistines chasing them as far as gath and the gates of ekron the bodies of the dead and wounded philistines were strewn all along the road from shahram as far as gath and ekron suddenly the the once frightened israelites were now on the charge they were inspired hope is contagious folks It's contagious. David's hope in God spread like wildfire. The entire story immediately changes. The narrative takes a brand new tone. It's no longer about defeat. There's something that's happened within the fellowship of faith when just one person has the audacity to believe God, to trust God, and to have hope. The church benefits greatly from just one person with a little bit of hope. Because hope is contagious. It spreads and it spreads and it spreads. So much so that the whole army without being ordered, all on their own, took off to fight the enemy, to conquer the enemy. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Paul understood something. As Christians, we have this confidence that no matter what happens, Christ has already won heaven is secure we're to be strong no matter what i don't know what tomorrow's going to look like i don't know what it's going to look like in in six months i could not predict what happened from the last what 18 months plus but god is in control god will help us god will guide us and by the way and if the worst was to happen Oh Death, where's your sting? It begins with one person, one who believes that God can use in to be a blessing and to bring down a giant. It starts with one person who wants to see children in our community impacted by the gospel of Christ. It takes one person with a heart for missions. It takes one person who believes that prayer changes things. It could be the spark that ignites this whole community to believe and hope in God for signs and wonders. That one person. It could be you. There's a movie, a Christian movie called Facing the Giants, and I'm not going to play it. It's a Christian movie of a high school football team and the coach is talking to all the players after the practice. And Brock is his name, and he's, he's discouraged by all the circumstance. It doesn't look like it's going to be a good year. And the coach takes him out to the football field, and all the players are watching him thinking that he's being, you know, penalized, that this is a punitive result from his comments. And he says, Brock, I want you to bear crawl to the 50-yard line. They're on the goal line, 50 yards. Because I could do that. He goes, I want you to do that with a man on your back. So he grabs a player, and he puts him on his back, and that player holds on to his shoulder pads. He says, I can't do it. He says, I think you can. All I ask is that you listen to my commands and just keep going and don't stop. So they begin to go, and before long, Actually, before they get to go, this is pretty, very, very critical. They blindfold him. So he can't see how far he goes. So he begins to go, and he begins to go, and, and before you know it, he hit the 50-yard mark. The players are all now starting to look, and now some of them are standing up. He goes another 10, another 20 another 30, now they're all starting to walk towards where Coach and Brock are at. I can't do it, I can't do it. Yes, you can. You can do this. Just keep going, keep going. Don't stop. I can't do it anymore. One more, 10 more, five more, two more, one more. And he finally just collapsed. It's got to be the 50-yard line gets down on the ground next to his helmet or next to where his face is. He goes, Brock. He says, look. Take your mask off. You're at the goal line. He goes, you're the most influential person on this team. And if you give up, they're all going to give up. What's it like in your team your family are you giving up on god because you can't see what god is really doing in you and through you there's miracles if we'll trust him even though you cannot see how god might come through Faith is believing that it is still possible. Church, when a whole congregation begins to function this way, that's when the world changes. What areas of your life can you exercise your hope, your faith, this coming week? Well, Father, we love you. Lord, maybe not all of us are Brocks, but we're all children of the King. And you still require of us our very best. And to not give up. To have hope. To believe that God can do the impossible and bring down the giants in our lives, in our nation. Oh God. Your will. Your way. Your time. If you're here today and you would say there's a giant in my life. I've kind of struggled with hope. I need to give my I need to wake up my hope. I need to trust God. If that's you, I just want to pray believing with you. Would you look up at me? Would you raise your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. Amen. Amen. Yes. 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 Amen. Father, I just lift up everybody just responding to that. And I pray you bless them. That you encourage them that they don't feel guilt and shame and condemnation, but they would feel the grace, the love, the mercy of the risen Savior and hope beyond measure for whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Bless your people. Give them a wonderful week, I pray. In Jesus' holy name. And we all say, Amen. Amen. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.